0: Well, it is great, as always, to be with you tonight. And I have to say that every time I stand up here, I am very humbled. You guys have such a great preacher in Chris, and I know you know that. But I know you also have high expectations, and I have to tell you that I feel inadequate. Sometimes I wish I could be that flashy preacher, the one that can crack jokes and entertain you, but of course at the same time be inspiring and challenging, challenging you to live that deeper walk with Jesus. If I could only wow you with my wit and my intelligence, that's what the world clamors for. And to be honest, that's pretty much what we clamor for too. But I'm sorry to say, just me. (laughs) And I'm not here to flatter your egos or my own. You've been making your way through the first letter to the Corinthians. And I'm sure that you know that Corinth was this great cosmopolitan city. It was at the crossroads of important crossroads of trade and commerce and culture. And they enjoyed wealth and status. And they embraced wholeheartedly the philosophies of their day and the sins. And when they came to faith, they didn't necessarily leave those things behind them right away. They still wanted to feel smart and superior and they wanted leaders that would inspire them, preferably telling them what they wanted to hear. They wanted leaders who would bow to the siren of popular sentiment. In a lot of ways, They were a lot like us. They wanted to feel safe in their complacency, inspired but not pushed too hard, intellectually challenged, yes, but not risking real spiritual or moral discomfort. When I preach, I am always aware that all I have are a bunch of words on these papers, just a bunch of words. And if they're just my words, or just my wisdom, or just spoken in my power, they might as well just fall out of my mouth and be a puddle on the floor. If God's Spirit hasn't led in the preparation, and if I don't speak about who God is, and what He has done, if, I, if He doesn't fill those words up, if He doesn't open your hearts to receive... It's just futile. It's meaningless. It's vain. I may entertain a little bit, but it's, there's no spiritual fruit. There's no change. There's no transformation. We might as well watch the latest TV show or movie and then go all have dinner together in the back room. But if I do speak God's word and express God's wisdom... And the Spirit does show up in power. Oh my. Watch out. Because that's where life with a capital L happens. We get a glimpse of God's eternal glory. We can encounter the living God among us. And we cannot stay the same. So let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come, come. Breathe your life among us. May the words that I speak be your words, and may you fill them and use them for your glory. Come, O Holy Spirit, move among us. May we recognize your presence here with us. May we know your heart. Come, O Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of the Father and our Savior Jesus and his powerful Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Chris might have shared with you that the Corinthians were not all that impressed with Paul. But he wasn't really concerned. Because all that mattered to Paul was that he preached the message Christ crucified. It wasn't about how great a preacher he was or how erudite or witty he was. It was all about the Spirit working through him to change lives. It didn't matter to him if they were impressed by Paul. It only mattered that they were impressed by Jesus Christ. And that wasn't going to happen by anything that Paul did. He couldn't manufacture that in any way. It was only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So tonight we're going to read from 1st Corinthians 2 and it's on page 1143 if you want to follow along and we'll be reading as we go along from 1 to 16 but I'm going to start with just 1 to 5 so 1 Corinthians 2 1 to 5 and so it was with me brothers and sisters when I came to you I did not come with eloquence Have you ever felt really inadequate for something? might have been a new job, uh, an exam that you had to take, a relationship. My first career, back in the dark ages, was as an occupational therapist. And all my jobs and all my fieldwork through school were all focused on pediatrics and psychiatry. But when I got out of school and Mark and I got married, I needed a job, and I took the first thing I was offered. It was as the only OT at a small hospital. Now, to say I was less than adequately prepared is really an understatement. I was a lawsuit waiting to happen. I'm not going to tell you which hospital, because I'm not sure what the statute of limitations is on malpractice. (laughs) But the good news is... I didn't stay there long, and as soon as I was able, I got a job in the Bellingham Public School District where I wasn't nearly as dangerous to the population. Now, the Apostle Paul says he came weak and trembling. He was fearful and feeling inadequate to the task that God had given him. He'd just come off a pretty rough season. In Philippi, he cast a demon out of a young slave gal who made a bundle of money for her owners in fortune-telling. Now, the owners were a bit peeved that their money-making scheme was all done, and they lied to have Paul and his partner, Silas, stripped, flogged, and thrown in jail. And when they got out, they were politely asked to leave town. In Thessalonica, the Jews riled up the crowd so much that they captured and threatened the man that they had been staying with. In Berea, it went a little bit better until some folks followed them from Thessalonica to rile up the crowds again. The response in Athens was mixed. And then Paul arrived in Corinth. He went first to the Jews, who were less than enthused and became abusive, it says in the book of Acts. And so he went to the Gentiles of the city. Now things could not have been going too terrifically well because in acts 18 9 it says the lord spoke to paul in a vision telling him do not be afraid keep on speaking do not be silent for i am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you now god wouldn't need to say that unless paul was feeling fearful and concerned for his safety So when he came, even though he felt inadequate and fearful, he didn't use clever, eloquent speeches to persuade them. He wasn't trying to impress them by the preacher or the preaching. He only wanted to impress them by the message, and his message was Christ crucified. Now, that's not really a catchy theme. It is very fitting, as we're going to be starting Lent this week. I don't know if you realize that. Ash Wednesday is this coming week. But it's not a theme that gives, like, warm fuzzies or anything, does it? Focusing on a man who was rejected and beaten, crucified as a criminal. But when you learn who Jesus really was, that he was Emmanuel, God with us, God with skin on that came to live among us, and when you hear what he did when he was here, that he had power over demons, that he healed people and forgave sins, that he fed thousands with a little boy's lunch, and he walked on water, that he taught and modeled this extraordinarily countercultural life, and that he gave a glimpse of a world in which God's reign was breaking in, showing the way it was always intended to be. And when you see why he died on the cross, to redeem our brokenness, to remove that stain of sin that allowed us to freely enter that presence and purposes of the Most High God, when you get all this, then you realize Christ's crucifixion changes absolutely everything. It wasn't about Paul's fancy rhetoric, his charisma, his intellectual arguments— It was all about the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit convicted, converted, and changed them. Now the lights in this room, they work because there's an electrical current that that powers them, right? And it's just getting dark enough to make this work. That if we didn't have that electrical current, there would only be dim bulbs. There would only be darkness. But when that power is turned on, there's illumination. It exposes everything. The Holy Spirit is that illumination. It shows us our true selves. It reveals God's purposes. And he has the power to change us from the inside out to be more like Jesus. The word that's used in verse 4 for demonstration, it means a most rigorous proof. A legal proof presented in court. Changed lives was the proof of God's movement among them. The demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. Later in chapter 6 of First Corinthians, Paul tells what he saw had happened in Corinth. He said, some of you were idolaters. Some of you were adulterers. Some of you were homosexuals. Some of you were drunkards. You were swindlers thieves and robbers and it has all changed you were washed you were sanctified you were justified in the name of the lord jesus and by the spirit of our god says it has all changed those in corinth who believed christ was crucified for them were utterly changed the power of god's spirit was demonstrated among them Have you seen this power in your own lives? Have you seen it change the lives around you? I have. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my husband's life. I've seen it in our marriage. I've seen it in the lives of my friends. God is still in the business of miracle-making. My standing up here is evidence of that. If we had a couple extra hours... The stories we could share. But Paul recognized that changed lives was God's work and not his. And you know, that's a comfort to all of us. Not just preachers, because we are all, all called to share the gospel. It really isn't about us. We can't convict, convert, or change. It's all about God's spirit working through us. If you feel inadequate, if you think, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not even an extrovert, I don't know enough, I don't express myself well, well, take heart, because our job really is pretty simple. It's just to share the message, Christ crucified. And our weakness in sharing it makes God's power more evident. Ironically, we try so hard to be, at least to appear to be, competent and together and powerful. And yet our being powerful diminishes the opportunity for others to see God's power. The gospel we proclaim to love is a gospel of weakness. The Isaiah text we read earlier talked about Jesus being unattractive, despised, rejected, familiar with suffering. We know he was born that vulnerable baby in poverty. He was a homeless guy, wandering in the backwoods of Galilee, ministering to the poor and to the marginalized. He was all alone when he faced criminal charges and crucifixion. There is nothing here that denotes power as we think of it <laughs> only humility and obedience in our weakness god is able to reveal his strength he's the one who does all the convicting converting and changing it doesn't mean that we get a free pass from begin from engaging in relationships from stu- being students of the word from just being engaged in our world. But it keeps us from the danger of self-reliance. Our strength is the power of God's Spirit. Let's read the next few verses. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of, the, of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Our family has always put a really high value on education. When we were raising our kids, we didn't have a lot of money. So our prior- priorities had to be really, really clear. And I think that was a gift. Near the top of that list was learning, cultivating curiosity, providing opportunities to broaden understanding of ourselves and the world. At one point, all five of us in our family were in school. One in a certificate program, one in an associate's pro- degree program, one a bachelor's, one a master's, and one a doctorate. But all that education, all of those degrees the travel, the learning experiences, everything we could possibly think of to give our family does not cultivate true wisdom. Paul describes true wisdom as God's wisdom, as, his, as secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. It's hidden from those who don't believe, hidden for the centuries as his people waited. It can't be figured out by any kind of human reasoning. It has to be revealed by God. Back in chapter 1, Paul wrote, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The world doesn't get it. Not the Jews, not the Greeks, not the ones who crucified Jesus, not anyone in their own human wisdom. But God's wisdom was destined for our glory before time began. Before creation, God had a sovereign plan. Jesus was not plan B for salvation. And it says this plan is for our glory. The paraphrase in the message says it this way, what God determined is the way to bring out His best in us long before we ever arrived on the scene. the way to bring out God's best in us, our glory. Christ excuse me, Christ crucified brings us back to reality, brings us back to who we really are, who we were created to be. He brings us back to that relationship with our God redeeming and restoring us for the purposes for which we were created. We are heirs with Christ, sharing in his sufferings, but also in his glory. Can you sit with that for a moment? We share Christ's glory. Glory that was planned before time began. Christ was crucified out of love for us. To bring out God's best in us, to share His glory. The world doesn't get it, but we do because the Spirit reveals it to us. The Spirit enables us to receive the message of Christ crucified and to respond to what God has lovingly prepared for us before creation. Our strength is in the Spirit's power. And our wisdom is in the Spirit's revelation. I'll finish our section. I'm going to read verse 9 again, and then go on to 16. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. The person with this spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Christ. I don't know what you're thinking right now. Maybe that's best. Maybe you're making your list for the week ahead, or you're thinking about what's for dinner back here afterwards. Only you know what you're thinking. But in the same way, only God knows what God's thinking. But the spirit that we're speaking of is God's spirit. And he can penetrate the unfathomable depths of God's thought. And the amazing thing is, he chooses to reveal that to us. Verse 12 says, we have received the Spirit of God, so we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. That word received is a great word of hospitality, of invitation, of welcome. When we welcome God into our lives, his Spirit comes to live in us. And he begins to reveal the amazing gifts that God has given us. This is not stuff from hum- that we can get from any kind of human understanding, no matter how smart we are. In this section, Paul uses two Greek words to contrast the one who does not have the spirit and the one who does. Psychikos and pneumatikoi. Now you may have recognized some roots there, The unspiritual person Paul calls psychikos. It comes from the Greek root psyche, which means soul. To call someone unspiritual doesn't mean that they're evil or sinful. They simply operate on the basis of the soul and not the spirit. Their only reference is the things of this world. They have not welcomed God's spirit So there's this absence of spiritual discernment. Spiritual things just seem silly or foolish. Now my father has struggled with the choices we've made as a family. Why would we give so much time and money to the church? Why would we give things away when we could sell them? Why would we leave a good job, uproot our family, and go to Mexico for a year? And work for free? We're nuts! He's gotten so frustrated and angry. He's told us we're idiots and that we're going to ruin our children. Now, if you know my kids, there's one. (laughs) They're not ruined. (laughs) They're great kids. But he can't understand. He can't possibly get from his human perspective the values that we hold and the choices that we've made. The other word that Paul uses for spiritual is pneumatikoi. Pneuma is the root there. means spirit or breath. Pneumatikoi are spiritual people. They have welcomed the Spirit of God to live in them, and they pay attention to the Spirit. They listen to its leading, and they allow the Spirit free reign to transform their lives. You'll see in the next chapter that Paul's distressed because the Corinthians, though they think that they're very, very spiritual, their lives don't necessarily reflect it. The life of a pneumaticoi should reflect the spirit's presence and movement. It says that they're, they're able to evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. The spirit gives us the ability to examine, to evaluate, to discern morally and spiritually, to know good from evil, truth from falsehood. As Gordon Fee quotes, the profane person cannot understand holiness, but the holy person can well understand the depths of evil. And the grand finale of the passage is that final verse, we Have the mind of Christ. We have that spirit of Christ who is God's wisdom and God's power living within us. It doesn't mean we understand his every thought, but the spirit that lives within us reveals his heart to us. We start to see things from his perspective. It shapes our worldview and our values, and ultimately, we hope, our behavior. The mind of Christ allows us to understand the incredible gifts that he's given us. It allows us to know who Christ is and what he's done. It allows us to understand our lives and the world from his perspective. It shows us our need to be changed. This was God's plan from before time began. Christ crucified. God's wisdom given so we could share Christ's glory. The amazing gift of the Spirit to convict, to convert, and to change our lives. We're given the mind of Christ to understand reality and that he can transform us, that we can fulfill his purposes. Our strength is in the Spirit's power. Our wisdom is in the Spirit's revelation. And our hope is in the Spirit's transformation of our lives and the world. And ultimately, our hope is to share His glory. Our strength, our wisdom, our hope But what does it look like to have the mind of Christ? Ray Steadman describes it this way: In the midst of this present world, we will be compassionate when others are severe. We will be severe when others are tolerant. We will be kind to the ugly, the poor, the obscure, the people of no ability or power. But we will be frank with the rich and the powerful and the mighty. That is the mind of Christ. I submit to you, there never was a more radical proposal to change the world than that brief statement to act according to the mind of Christ. Here is the true way to radically affect the world of our day. That's what God sends us out to do. Let me read that last little bit of his quote again. I submit to you there, was never, there never was a more radical proposal to change the world than that brief statement to act according to the mind of Christ. Here is the true way to radically affect the world of our day. And that's what God sends us out to do. Let's pray. God most high, we are humbled and awed that you would make a plan ages and ages ago for us to be able to share your glory, that you would send your son from your presence and sacrifice him through crucifixion out of love for us, that you would send your spirit, give us your mind to live inside of us, to help us understand who you are and all you've done for us, and to enable us to live the way. You've created us to live. Lord, may we welcome you into our lives. May we allow you free reign to renew us. May we all say yes to you tonight. May our lives reflect the mind of Christ that you've given us, and may your Spirit's power be demonstrated in our lives. May we be people who reflect you and your kingdom values in this world. May we say yes to you. Yes, we acknowledge that we've been often unspiritual, living our lives as if our only reference is the things of this world not living in the truth of your wisdom and your power. And yes, we accept Christ's crucifixion and that his death changes everything. And yes, we welcome your spirit into our lives and we invite you to make your home in us, to demonstrate your power in and through us. Be our strength. Be our wisdom, and Lord, be our hope. And may all praise be to your wise and powerful name. Amen.